Your word, Father, um, the psalmist says, you have exalted your word according to the glory of your great name. And that's what we're praying happens in this moment. That's how I'm praying for this moment right here. That as we have exalted your name, so your word would be exalted and it would sit with authority over our lives, relevance to our lives, and we would be different because we encountered your word today. All sorts of places, all sorts of uh, sources of inputs that uh, uh, we could receive today, that we will receive today. But God, we don't need an opinion. We don't need an outside. We need to hear from you in this moment. So unleash yourself on us by your Holy Spirit and bring to bear the weight of the kingdom on our lives so that we are transformed. Make that our reality now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Okay, so um, does uh, anybody ever been to Natural Bridge Caverns before? Anybody? Raise your hand real high. Okay, so Natural Bridge Caverns, if you're not familiar, over by San Antonio. Uh, one of ours uh, had a birthday back in January, and so um, we kind of do birthday experiences. That's, that's kind of how our family rolls. And uh, she wanted to go to Natural Bridge Caverns. She wanted to actually see a cave. So we walk in. There's, there's about three or four different cave tours. One's like you have to sign up for, like weeks in advance, are the ones where they lower you through the hole and stuff like that, which that's messed up right there. Like, I, yeah, this ain't fitting through a hole. That's all I'm saying. You know, I, I, no, I don't care how t- it ain't going. So I'm glad we missed that, if I'm honest. But we did the two tours that you can just walk up and pay. So we did the one where you kind of go down maybe 150 or so feet, and uh, you kind of walk down underneath the natural bridge, and then you get to see the caverns and all that kind of stuff. Um, pretty amazing. And there are there are amazing sights in there. If you've not been, I just... It's, it's incredible. You, you look at that, and as a person of faith, I look at that and I go, God, your artistry is just astounding. Like in the heavens, we get to see on the earth, we get to see under the earth. His artistry is still astounding. So then we went on the second tour, which is a different tour. It's like the advanced version of the tour with like a jillion and a half steps or something like that. There's some number maybe just short of that. But you go down uh, much further than before, and you get to see all these different things. And at the bottom of the tour, there are benches there in this little cavern, and they sit you down. Who knows what's coming? They make you sit down, and you're like, what are you going to do, show us a movie? What's the deal? No, they make you sit down. They say, so this is what it was like when they turned uh, or when, when they discovered the cave, and then they clicked the lights off. Now, you're like 200-something feet below the surface. Like, it's a long way from anywhere, and... and and it's dark, and I've got my little one here beside me, and I'm waving my hand in front of her face, waving my hand. There is nothing, nothing. You can't see a thing. Like, it's dark. Drive you crazy if you stay down there too long, dark. Like, so dark that I kept my arm around her, not sure, not sure if something was going to come out of somewhere. I'm not sure how, but I would never find her. Like, if she got up and moved, it would be toast. Like, we would be done. I would never, it was that, it was unbelievably dark. Thankfully, they turned the lights back on. We didn't have to kind of wind our way out of there. But, but I thought about that story when, uh, when I was thinking about today, because as we've been uh, kind of under this umbrella of the church versus, today is something like the church versus darkness. Has anybody ever seen or encountered darkness like that? Like wave the hand in front of your face. Do, does our world have anything that looks like that? Our culture have any darkness out there? 
does it do any good? Would it have done any good for me holding on to the doing all this, would it have done any good for me to yell at the darkness or wish that it wasn't dark or scream at the darkness or pick at the darkness or anything like that? Would it have done any good? No, I can curse the darkness all I want to and it's still dark. The only way to dispel darkness is to shine the light. That's what you do. And so today really is about that, the church versus darkness. And what I'm hoping to do um, in these three little episodes that we encounter in the text is just let, the, let the, the, the text help us shine the light in some specific places uh, to maybe dispel uh, and, and put to flight even some of this darkness. So uh, in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, this is Paul and Silas, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So let's pause right here. This is Paul and Silas journeying through modern-day Turkey. So if everybody in their minds can draw kind of an oval that's sideways, laying sideways, okay, that's modern-day Turkey. They've made the land journey up. They tried to go south. That's what it says. They couldn't uh, preach the word in Asia. They wanted to get to Ephesus, which was the big city. Ultimately, they did get to Ephesus, spent a lot of time there. Uh, there we have a letter, the Ephesians, uh, the letter to the Ephesians is recorded to the church in that city. Um, uh, they spent a lot of time there. They got there eventually, but it just wasn't the right time there. So they couldn't go south. Therefore, they turned to the north. That's verse Seven, when they had come to Mysia, um, uh, they attempted to go into Bithynia. So they wanted to preach the good news of Jesus to the people in the north. They couldn't go south, but what happened? The spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go north. So they had come from the east, everybody tracking so far, could not go south, could not go north. What's left? West, whoever that little voice was, you're exactly right. You win the prize. Um, make sure the adults around you are awake, okay? <clears throat> Uh, so they're headed west, verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, this little um, uh, port town there uh, on the edge of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, okay? Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A, ma a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So um, I, I just, in my mind, I tried to name these people because I wanted, I wanted to have some sort of like moment where I could really get a sense of who they were. And I, I named this, this guy who showed up in the vision, Simeon. Not only is it an Aragon here, but also like uh, uh, it, it means heard in Greek. So this guy was heard, Paul heard. And I, that's important because um, um, he was heard, but also like, Paul heard the voice of God finally. I want to go south, can't go south. I want to go north, can't go north. I ain't going back east. I've already been there. We must go west. And finally, he heard the voice of God. So this vision comes along, and it helps us, I think, in a couple of ways. Um, uh, some of us have experienced this before where we want to go somewhere. God, I want to do this. This is Paul inside this. Hey, we're doing missionary work here, God. Don't you... Don't you want to help us along here? Because every time we go this way, it, poof, it feels like we're bumping into something. And it's not the government. It's not culture. It's not something satanic. It feels like we're running into you. Therefore, we're not allowed to go that way. Oh, so we must be going this way. No, it's not that way. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward. How many of you have been in that spot before where you're like, hey, I really want to do the right thing. But it seems like I'm being prevented every which way I go. You've had that moment before. 
in this particular case, I think it's important for, for, us, for us to get this, that the waiting that they experienced there, and who loves to wait? Anybody? The waiting that they experienced there did a couple of things for them. Number one, waiting allows God to shape them and to shape us. But secondly, it also allows God to set the stage for what's coming next. Because what is coming next? Macedonia is in Greece. So Paul and Silas are going to take the gospel to somewhere farther than the gospel had ever gone before. And that leads me to this particular statement here um, under this idea of this vision that the direction and the timing of God's will are equally important. If you've been around here, you've heard me say that before. Anytime we get into this, I want to emphasize that. I learned it early in life. I don't always apply it very well. But the direction and the timing of God's will are equally important. Want to go north, can't go north. Want to go south, can't go south. Eventually, they got both north and south. But in this moment right here, God was setting the stage um, for something. Now, that waiting is hard. Listen, I, I don't want to pretend otherwise. Uh, it, it, but it does shape us. That waiting does shape us. And it allows God to set the stage. So much so that Paul would write to this group of churches in, in Turkey later in the book of Galatians. He would say, it was in the fullness of time. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Like there had to be a special place, a special time in history for God to enter in the way that he did in Jesus. So it shapes us and it allows God to set the table. Um, Proverbs 16 verse 9, uh, something you can hold on to if you're at this stage where you're trying. It says this, the heart of the man plans his steps, but uh, the heart of the man plans his way, excuse me, but the Lord is the one who establishes his steps. So we trust, we trust that God's do that, that God is at work here. And so we remember the direction and timing of God's will are equally important. Here's what I don't want to miss. When it became clear, though, when it became clear, what was the response? Did you see that in verse 10? And when Paul had seen the vision, and what's the next word in the ESV there? Immediately. We sought to go into Macedonia. They didn't wait around. When they had a clear understanding of what was expected of them, they did not wait around. So if God has already spoken to you, if you're waiting, wait, because God's at work. You just can't see him. But if you know, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Um, to them. Second part of this, this vision, I think, was uh, that stood out to me and, and I think will help us push back the darkness, shine the light and push back the darkness, is look what he, the, the guy in the vision says. Come over, this is the end of verse 9, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's the end of verse 9. And what's the conclusion at the end of verse 10? Paul concluded that they had, uh, they had been called by God to come over and preach the gospel to them. So something like this, that the gospel is not the only need, but it is the ultimate need, Okay. It's not the only need, but it is the ultimate need. If you've been around church a while, been around our church a while, you know that we engage, when we see people in need, we engage. We engage with students who are in schools um, uh, and, and various other ways. If people are in need, we want to engage them with the kind of help that, that uh, uh, Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to live with a sense of compassion towards people. He wants us to 
make neighbors. Remember, neighbor is a verb. He wants us to make neighbors of those around us. And he wants us to do that in a way that shows just how compassionate and how powerful he is. And at the same time, he also calls us to preach the gospel. Listen, as a church family, um, there's this rumbling and kind of greater Christianity in the, in the United States uh, of, you know, do you just do good works and show them Jesus' love? Or do you only preach the gospel and tell them of Jesus' love? And what's the answer to that? Yes, you do. That's right. You, you don't bifurcate that. You don't like divide it in some way and say, well, only over here, only over here. But in this situation, we're not. No, 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 no. The message that we carry demands good works of us, and the good works that we do opens the message, uh, opens uh, doors to the message. So we, we do both of those things. The gospel is not the only need around us, church family, but it is the ultimate need of everybody around us. So I think what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us, as I said last week, you know, this kind of sense of just leaning in a little bit to what God wants. He wants to turn up the, the heat on us a little bit um, to say, let's burn a little bit. Let's have some unction inside of us, some, some oomph inside of us, some movement inside of us that says we have people around us who have needs. Anybody know anybody like that? And their greatest need is to know the good news of Jesus and to respond in faith to that. Both. It's not one or the other. It's both. The second episode that we see here, starting in verse 11, is about Lydia, this, this lady from Thyatira. So setting sail from Troas, the port city. They made a direct voyage to Samothrace there. It's a little island out in the middle. It's a good place to stop and spend the night. You catch up, move on the next day. The following day to Neapolis, which is this port city in Greece, just down the road from Philippi. And from there, they walked it. They hoofed it up to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate, excuse me, outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So let's pause there before we run um, any further than that. Um, so Paul, Silas and the crew um, hop a ship overnight on an island, land at the port, up to Philippi. They're there checking it out for some days. And then normally when Paul arrives in a city, if you um, have seen this before uh, in, in the, in the uh, text and certainly in after in the text, normally when Paul arrives in a city, where does he go first to preach the gospel? Anybody know? The synagogue, that's exactly right. He goes to the place where the Jewish people are to preach the gospel to them. because It's a familiar place. It's a good starting point. He can launch ministries from there and all that kind of stuff. He did not do that in Philippi. Why? There was no synagogue. You know how many people it took? It took 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So what does that tell us about Philippi? It was dark spiritually hand-waving in front of your face, hold your loved ones close in case the boogeyman came and got you dark. It was spirit. You think of the most corrupt, dark place that you can imagine. That's, that's the kind of picture. There was no witness of the people of God there. You had these women who were God-fearing women, but were not Jews, who were um, uh, worshiping outside of, they didn't worship inside, they worshiped outside of the city. And that, that leads me to, to this, uh, that when it comes to the, one of the things that we see in this episode with Lydia, this, this lady from Thyatira is, is that the gospel is for 
everyone. Look at, again, in verse 13, sat down, spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from Thyatira, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Um, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what had been said by Paul. So there's, there's a lot in there, okay? So let's, let's hold on to this first, that the gospel is for everyone. I say that to reemphasize this, church family. Listen, there is not a person in your life, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, whether you look like them or don't look like them, whether they work with you, play with you on the uh, same soccer team or whatever, there is not a person in your world who does not need the good news of Jesus. Everyone, the gospel is for everyone. Lydia in particular Um, kind of stirs this up here. Why? Because you've got a group of Jewish men outside of the city talking to some Gentile women. Like this is not supposed to go this way, but here they are. Here they are sharing the good news. The gospel is for everyone. It is for people just like Lydia. Lydia would be somebody that you would think to yourself, man, they are a good person and they've got their life together. They would fit in our neighborhood. Like Lydia may be living next door to you. She's successful. She's driven. She, she has made something of herself. Um, and she has a worldview that includes God in some manner. When people put hashtag blessed, she's like, yeah, I like that. And put she has a worldview that includes that. So religious in some way, um, uh, connected in some way, but socially um, uh, upward, she, was, she, was success, she, is, she would fit in most of our neighborhoods. She could be living right next door to us as the perfect suburbanite. The gospel is for everyone, including those that you would say, man, the, this is one of the best people that I know. The gospel is for that person, and they need that. That's why Paul, I think it's such a good thing to see here that Paul is speaking the gospel to somebody uh, just like Lydia. And those who run hard after other things, and God's kind of an add-on for them, they'll just pause whenever they feel like they can pause or whenever they can make it. It's God's the the secret ingredient in the sauce, so to speak. Whenever those people are running hard and God's just kind of the add-on, guess what? The gospel's for them too. Some of you have people just like that. And pastorally, what I want to say to you is this. Keep sharing the gospel with them. Just keep doing it. Because some of you have shared um, multiple times with um, uh, friends or coworkers or spouses or neighbors or kids or parents or whatever, and, and you haven't seen anything move. Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm sharing the gospel with one, a friend of mine. I'm, I'm excited for him to come to faith. I'm ready. And I, man, I, we're close. Like I keep sharing. He, he's close. And so, hey, have you thought about more than we talked about? Yeah, I'm just not there yet. And you're like, come on, man, come on. And so like, what do you do in that moment? Go, well, fine then. No, no, the gospel is for everyone, even those who are running hard after other things and have heard it a million times before and haven't received it yet. The gospel's for that person. Don't give up. Don't give up. That's one of the things that Lydia says to us. The second one is that the gospel offers to us, not some new religious way, the gospel offers life. Again, verse 14, 
And towards the end there, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, let's just, can we just click into the physical anatomy of the heart for just a second? It, uh, it's, a, it's a terrific phrase. The Lord opened her heart. So the implication is, uh, before Paul preached the gospel to her, Lydia's heart was closed. So if you've got a heart that was opened after Paul spoke to her beforehand, it was, everybody say it, it was closed. Now, let's, let's switch on a physical anatomy here, okay? If you have a closed heart, physically speaking, you are dead. That's exactly what you are. You are dead. Your valves aren't working. We call that a heart attack. I mean, you are, you are in bad shape if your heart is physically closed. Like there had to be life that opened up. And that's exactly what the gospel offers is life. Spiritually speaking, Lydia's heart was closed. Spiritually speaking, before Jesus came into our lives, all of our hearts were closed. Spiritually speaking, every person you know who is separated, if they're the most successful person, the nicest person, most generous person, even the most religious person, the, that, those people are separated from God and their hearts are closed. This is how Paul would write to the Ephesians letter and describe this, probably the most apt description of our spiritual um, uh, uh, situation before Jesus steps in. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We weren't just bad, we were dead. And that's the, that's the message of the, the, the gospel is that he, may, he gives us life. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. I'm the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we how many of us? We all, don't miss that. We all once lived. Every person in here and every person we know. We all once lived in this way, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And then don't miss this. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So, our hearts were closed. And as a result of that, we are spiritually dead and therefore we are disconnected from God. We were children of wrath. This is what spiritual death looks like. And what does, what does it say? The Lord opened her heart. How, how did that happen? Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's beautiful. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so Satan has a, a veil, if you will, that's put over their eyes to keep them from seeing the light. How do we dispel darkness? Yell at the darkness, you shouldn't sin so much. You're such terrible sinners. You to keep them from seeing the light. That's the issue. We, we, the issue is one of light, of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then don't miss this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown, where did he shine the light? Where did he shine it? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We were spiritually dead and our hearts were closed. And then through the gospel, God 
shone light in there and our hearts opened. They blossomed like a flower. They opened to the good news such that our the most natural response that we would make is to say, Jesus, I see you and I want you to do what you promised you would do for me. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to give me life. So this kind of stuff is still happening like in, in our world. And I'll just give you a brief example from yesterday. I'm out doing some yard work there and just trying to get some things clean and um, some stuff like that. I, I'm out doing that stuff and um, see a car parked down the street on our cul-de-sac and out jump two um, very overdressed people for a Saturday morning. And down they come, passing out literature. They walk up on me and, um, and I, they, hey, we're here just passing out stuff. want to invite you to a worldwide event on Good Friday to watch this thing and that kind of thing. And I said, look at the thing. It's the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, eh, thanks so much. Uh, wh- what happened on Good Friday? Well, Jesus died. Oh, man, that's, that's such good news. Like, Jesus died, but what did he do? Like, uh, what, Jesus died for our sins. This is what, the, and I said, man, that is the most amazing news to me. Because I know, and I was, I, I was dead earnest, okay? I, I'm not playing games here. Because I know how wicked my sins are. I know the darkness that lays inside of me. So who died for me? Jesus did. I, I get that, but like, who was Jesus that he would die? And they popped up, standard Jehovah's Witness answer, well, he's the son of God. I understand that, but what do you mean by that? He was the, the, the very special, this is how they phrase it, the very special creation, the very special creation uh, of God. And I said to them, I have no hope that any special creation could carry my sins. I know how bad I am. I know how dark I am. I know what rolls around inside of me. Do you, do you know how bad you're, oh yeah. Maybe your sins are different than mine. I'm just telling you like, I cannot expect some creation to carry my sins. I need God to carry my sins. The lady says, oh, we're not here to change your beliefs. Lady, what are you doing here? I did not say that out loud. But I did, I did say this. Well, I'm standing here to testify to the truth because the light has shone in my heart and I have seen the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Well, sir, have a nice day. I'm having a pretty good day because I've got somebody who can carry my sins. (laughs) It's a good day. I'm putting that out there not to, not even to give you talking points when the JWs roll up on you, really. I just, I'm putting that out there to say this. The gospel gives life. We were dead and through the gospel, our hearts opened up to what Paul has said. 
It requires us speaking. And so we want to bear witness to the truth. It required Paul speaking to Lydia so that her heart would be open. We owe that to the people around us. And if you think, if you think, no, 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 this is that sermon where you turn up the heat and we feel all guilty for not sharing the gospel. This is not that sermon. This is the sermon to say, let's turn up the gospel so that we feel the intensity and the intimacy and the experience of that in our own lives so that it normally just comes out of us. Let's realize that our hearts were closed and dead and God has done this in us. And if he's done it in us, we've got something to talk about. The gospel gives life. It gives life. It's for everybody and then it gives life. Okay, so the last little episode here in verse 16. Uh, sorry, let's, let's finish the story with verse 15. And after she was baptized and her household as well. So the, the gospel took root in Lydia and it so overwhelmed her and those who were with her that the people who were with her also believed and they got baptized too, like the whole thing. And they, she urged us, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she's like, I, gotta, I, I want to be around people who are telling me about this kind of God. Verse 16 now. We encounter a little girl. Um, I, I named her, in my mind, I named her Ellie, um, which is short in Greek for alaphora, which, which means freedom. You'll see why. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners by much gain, brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So let's talk about Ellie, this little girl in need. And I just say this important thing to us. Salvation not only means forgiveness and not only is is the gospel life to us, but what kind of life is it? Salvation means freedom for us. Freedom. That's that's where we go with this. That's what we do with this. We we enter into, into this relationship with Jesus through the gospel. And as we enter in, we realize that we're forgiven. But as we experience the good news of Jesus over and over and over again in our lives, we live free. Sin doesn't feel as enticing anymore. It doesn't have the same claim that it used to on us. We get to live a life of freedom. Salvation brings freedom. It can look different for different people. Often it does. People in this section over here, you've got an experience of what freedom looks like, and it's different than some of these folks over here. That's okay. What we can say is that salvation brings with it a life of freedom. It did in this little girl's life here. Um, there, there was a darkness that had set in over her. And let's just, let's name out what that darkness looked like. Um, first of all, it was, it was demonic, okay? There, there was a demon involved. There was a spirit involved. And, and I don't want to ever overplay this and give Satan too much credit, but I certainly don't want to underplay it. Listen, um, the, the work of the enemy looks different in suburbia than it does in sub-Saharan Africa. I think we can all agree on that, but let's not pretend that he's not at work here just like he is there because he wants to lie, he wants to deceive, he wants to uh, uh, murder and to steal and to destroy. He's the thief and he's a liar and all of those things are true here just like they are in other places in the world. And here's the thing, it it will look different. I get it, it will look different, but his agenda is certainly the same. And, And while we 
Um, you know, may try to look for other explanations for it. Let's just be clear that the enemy is at work to, to lie to um, folks and to accuse them and to condemn them. That's what he does. It was a demonic thing. But also, there were other things at play. There, there were people using her for their gain. God help those men who use girls for their gain. I don't think he likes that at all. That, that unhealthy relationship of control, that power dynamic, however you want to describe it, whatever language you need, that was at work too, and God set her free from that. He set her free from, from speaking about things that she could not experience. These are servants of the most high God. That's what he's, but she was not experiencing that. God set her free from speaking about things that she did not experience. Some of us need to be set free from that. And then in verse 18, uh, uh, she kept doing this for many days. It was this cyclical, repeated pattern over and over and over again, a habit, if you will, that which is just because of the dynamics that were at work, she could not break. Some of us have things in our lives that we feel like we cannot break. Jesus wants to liberate us, set us free from all of that. Salvation brings with it freedom. And only one person has the power to do that. Again, verse 18, this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, can we just pause for just a second? Let's, don't you jump on Paul. Number one, I'm not sure you want a demon speaking for you. That's number one. Number two, Many of you in here know what it's like to have somebody who's little behind you going around saying the same thing over and over again. Am I right? Don't be jumping on Paul, okay? Paul becoming greatly annoyed. You've been there. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, here we go, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out in that very hour, the way the Bible reads, that very moment. It came out in that very moment freedom. But only one, kind of, only one person has that kind of power. And who is it? It's Jesus. Paul, uh, excuse me, Jesus would say this about himself in John chapter 8, verse 36. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Church family, we're coming to communion in just a second. We're going to celebrate the fact that we are free from the penalty of sin. Jesus has taken that from us. We will remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed so that the penalty of sin over our lives uh, would be forever done with. It is finished, paid for, and over. We're free from that. And we'll also celebrate together that this is a living thing. We're in a relationship with God. This, these symbols are important because they symbolize a living relationship that, that we are set free not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin in our lives. We don't have to live the way that we've always lived. We don't have to have these unhealthy relationships and, and cycles of, of, of continually doing things and, and have forces in our lives that are somehow keeping us down and oppressing us. We can live free from that because we're in a living relationship with Jesus, but not just free from something. We're also free to something because there's people out there who need to be loved. And there are people out there who need to be served and we're set free to love those people. 
neighbors a verb. We get, we're set free to make neighbors of those around us. We're set free to give the gospel away and, and, and share it in a way such that we can experience the, the power of when we see life, uh, lives transform right in front of us. Set free from some things, glory and amen. And we're set, from, set free to some things also. Both of those are true. We're coming to communion, and we're going to pause here and celebrate this, that the gospel is life, and Jesus brings freedom. So I'm going to invite the deacons up, and if you want to fold up your stuff and set it to the side, however you need to do that in order to be ready for communion, you go right ahead and do that.